Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome indeed to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and let me uh, say what maybe you've already heard this morning, but happy St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up Catholic, and so I really didn't have that knowledge from an early age about who St. Patrick was. My family heritage is primarily German, but every year on St. Patrick's Day, the main thing was, especially as a kid, it's important to wear green, right? Was that, was that your experience? Maybe you had some uh, uh, background. If you were a cradle, cradle Catholic, you, you already knew some of the background, the story of St. Patrick, but that wasn't the case for me. And uh, yeah, so wearing green, that was about all there was to it. And there's that saying that goes around on St. Patrick's Day, everybody's Irish on St. Patrick's Day, right? Um, but in elementary school for me, first, second, third, fourth grade, it was important. You got to wear green. And I think the younger that you were, the more important it was. Otherwise, you'd have all these other kids that would be pinching you all day long. You'd come home and you'd have a bunch of little red pinch marks on your arms and on your back. And uh, while the wearing green was important, maybe even more important as a young child, you had to make sure you didn't wear red, right? Uh, not in elementary school because you didn't want to get cooties. That was, <laughs> that was one of those important things. So as a little kid, don't wear red. Make sure to wear green. And then one year, there's always that one year where you forget that it's St. Patrick's Day and you don't wear green to school. And you show up and as soon as you get there, you see all the other kids in their green shirts and the horror sets in. You realize your mistake. If you were lucky, you might end up having worn socks that day that maybe had a green stripe on them. Or you had a coat, a jacket that had some green on it, and you just leave it on all day long. But if you couldn't fall back on one of those things, if you didn't have that just, you know, uh, coincidental luck there on having some other thing with green in your wardrobe then you had to start improvising. And in the morning, outside of the school building, before the first bell rang, if you, if you couldn't show some article of green clothing that you had on, you'd have all the other kids start circling around you. It'd be like sharks in the water. They're all kind of eyeing you, saying, I don't see anything green on you today. And so you'd say, no, 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 I, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing green. It's, uh, it's, it's on my underwear. And then there'd be the demand. You know, the kids would say, yeah, prove it. Well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to show you, uh, but it's there. And then you'd try and hold out on your bluff as long as you can. But all the, all the other kids, they'd be suspiciously looking at you. And then you'd kind of sigh, and your head would go down a little, and then they knew. They, they knew that they had you at that point. They knew, and they would start pinching. And there was always that one kid that pinched harder than all the other kids, and, you know, nobody liked him. But uh, that was my experience growing up, and that was about all I knew about St. Patrick. 
Now, as a young adult coming into the church, and I'm starting to learn about Catholic beliefs, and, and I started learning about the different saints. And it was, of course, easy to start with the ones that I'd always heard about when I was a child. And St. Patrick would have been one of those up near the top of the list. And so what do you know about St. Patrick, and what can we learn from his life? From his example, uh, he didn't grow up in Ireland. That might be one thing if you're, if you're not very familiar with St. Patrick. He actually was kidnapped by Irish pirates when he was about 16 years old. And he was held in slavery there in Ireland for six years. He finally escaped, and he, he made it back home, and he studied Christianity, became a priest, and he had this mystical vision, and this vision called him back to help the people of Ireland. So he went back to this island where he was held as a slave as a young person, and he became the bishop of the island. He's actually credited with basically converting the entire population of Ireland uh, to Christianity. This would have been, I think it's the 4th century that he was there. And so famously, he used the shamrock as a way to teach about the triune nature of God, the three persons in one God. Uh, Ever since his life there, early on, those early centuries of Christendom, Uh, He's been one of the patron saints of Ireland, and today is so important to the people of Ireland that there in Ireland, it's considered a holy day of obligation. And so as we look at the life of St. Patrick today, while, while we might not be converting full islands of people for Christ and for the church, we can definitely look to St. Patrick and say, here's a really perfect example of how we can be a witness for Christ wherever we are, for those people that are all around us in our day-in, day-out lives. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be that witness for Christ. And even beyond that, we actually live in a time and place where most people around us, they already have a basic understanding of Christianity. At the very least, they, they know what Christianity is. They might not know all the details about beliefs, uh, but they understand the, the, the kind of the core concept of Christianity. So we end up finding ourselves today as Catholics in a position where we aren't so much introducing others to Christ and to Christian theology, but we're more in a situation where we have to explain the reasons why we believe some of the specific aspects of our faith, the doctrines, the dogmas. And that's what we want to look at today, what it means to be an apologist. And maybe you've heard that word, maybe you haven't, but we're going to talk about what it means to be an apologist. And I want to ask you, how are you being a Catholic missionary and an apologist in your own community? When have you had that opportunity to talk with someone about your faith? How did it go? How do you try and correct those misconceptions about the Catholic Church, about what we believe as Catholics, and do it in a loving and non-confrontational way. Uh, We're going to talk about being apologists for the Church with one of our regular spiritual directors, Father Carter Griffin. Father Griffin is a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. So glad to be able to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Josh. It's good to be with you. Now, I understand, like me, you're also a convert to the faith. So did you have much knowledge of St. Patrick growing up? A Griffin sounds like an Irish name. I'm just, I'm just guessing you might have some Irish blood in you. You know, I, I don't think so, actually. As I tell Catholics, I'm from the other island, I think. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't usually go over too well, especially today. Uh, but, I, but I always tell my I'm from the same place that that, that St. Patrick was from. <laughs> no. Um, but it's, it, I had similar experience to you, 
sounds maybe a little bit less traumatic than yours was, <laughs> uh, but certainly having to uh, having to wear something green, and you know, I think inevitably you could find something that's green on you, <laughs> you know, pull it out and say, oh, here, it's, it's like your it's like your pass to get through the hole, but. Right. Um, yeah, no, the very little experience of his, uh, of his, you know, his knowledge about him. But at the same time, I think finding, as you did, you know, the um, when you did learn about his life, to sort of be to see how edifying and how how much love it would have taken to go back to the place where you were captured and and served as a slave, yeah. knowing that you would go back there in all likelihood to your martyrdom. And if, frankly, if it hadn't been for some direct interventions on the part of our Lord, uh, he would have been martyred quickly after he got off the boat. Right, right. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, you know, uh, really credited with huge conversions there on the island of Ireland. Yeah. So uh, as as I mentioned, we want to talk about looking at that example and being that witness to those that are around us just in our own sphere of influence, our own communities. And so part of that is evangelism, and part of it is apologetics. These are both connected, but they do have some distinctions. So can you give us a clear understanding of what we mean when we talk about apologetics and how it is tied into evangelism, but evangelism is not apologetics itself? Sure. I I think it's a really important distinction, actually, because uh, the way I would see it uh, or describe it is that evangelism— um, or evangelization is is a wider um, kind of topic or a wider thing than than apologetics. Evang- evangelization really is it, what it literally is is bringing the good news, right? It's it, it's sharing the good news, it's preaching the good news, it's 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 being a an instrument and an agent um, of of the good news that Jesus Christ came to bring, which is a very wide thing. It includes sometimes official preaching, and sometimes it, it, it means kind of unofficial preaching, and it means setting a good example. It means living a life of holiness, of uh, praying for those that we wish to draw closer to Jesus, you know, sacrificing. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's really anything that leads to this conversion of heart um, is, I think, part of evangelization or evangelism, whereas apologetics is a, is a narrower thing. It's sort of helping to identify ways that we can form the mind to be a defense of the faith, you know, which is what apologetics really means. It comes from the word meaning defense, uh, the Greek word for defense. You're defending the faith against error. So it, it's not the same thing. It's kind of a negative thing versus a positive thing. So positively, you're, you're sharing the good news, but negatively, I mean, that sort of in the sense that you're defending the good news against charges that it's irrational, for example, or that it's, or that it's objectively wrong or mean, or, you know, that this means that God is is weak or evil or something like that. So you're, you're, defending the, you're defending the truth really against claims that it's false. And so it's part of, but, but not as wide as evangelization. But it's pretty essential, and it's something that is needed today, I think, um, maybe more than in most ages when there's just a lot of misinformation out there about the faith. Right, right. Well, and as you talk about defending the faith, the, the place in the Bible that I have always heard used for this, where that Greek word apologia um, it's in the first letter of St. Peter in the New Testament, uh, the third chapter and verses 15 and 16. And that's where St. Peter writes and says, always be ready to give that explanation when anybody asks you. But one of the things that it says there is we're supposed to do it with gentleness and with reverence. And so maybe we can talk about how when we are defending our faith, our faith, we don't want to let ourselves get angry or aggressive when we're engaging in that defense, the, the, you know, when we're being an apologist for Christ. If we lose our cool 
or we start getting upset, we can find ourselves in an area where there's potential to do more harm than good. Yeah, but that's exactly right. I, I think that if you, I mean, part of being uh, an, an, an evangelist, to use that wider term, means setting an example for what, how a Christian should behave. And if in our apologetics, if trying to explain the faith, we end up behaving in, in an un, unchristian way, then we've kind of, uh, you know, we've cut ourselves, you know, we've, we've sort of pulled out the carpet from underneath us. We're not able to make any headway because the very thing we're trying to defend has already been discredited by your behavior. <laughs> you know, so, right. so trying to like have a, have a kind of a winsome way about, I mean, if what we believe is true, as I, and I think you firmly believe it is, then it's also beautiful and it's even agreeable. I mean, it may sometimes be hard and there may be a sacrifice in living it, but what we have to share with people is unbelievably uh, beautiful and attractive and leads to a flourishing human life. And if we're convinced of that, we're really convinced of that, and apologetics can help us become more convinced of that, then, then there's no need to kind of become all defensive or worked up or angry, you know, when somebody disagrees with us. We, we just do the best we can, and maybe this is not the day that, that this argument is going to get through or whatever, and maybe we have to add a little bit of humor to it, and maybe we even need to kind of hold, our, hold the punch and, you know, not say what we would like to say and wait for another day when maybe this person is a little bit more disposed or we're in a better frame of mind. So I think you're right, like trying to make sure that it's not just kind of what the words are that we're using, but also how we're using those words. Well, and that also, in my mind, when I'm talking with somebody else, and I have to be careful of this because I like to argue, and I like to win arguments, you know, but um, when we're evangelizing and when we're talking with somebody, uh, one of the things our executive director here at Relevant Radio, Father Rocky, said years ago, and it really stuck with me, he said that, Jesus never said, you shall be right. When he was asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus summed up all the law and the prophets saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you're talking about we want to present the truth, we want to correct any misconceptions, when that door opens to be able to do that with somebody else, we have to do it out of love and not to win that argument. And like I say, I'm, I'm one of the worst ones. I love to argue and I love to win arguments. But winning an argument is always telling the other person, you're, you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, but apologetics, it's more about presenting the truth. And if that truth has substance to it, if there's really something real in that truth, then it'll stand on its own, won't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was St. Augustine who talked about the truth of like being aligned. You just have to let let it out of its cage, you know, and then it will it will defend itself. Um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, the, the Lord certainly wants us, like He's quoted from St. Peter, He wants us to be able to make that defense to anyone who calls us to account for the hope that is in us, um, and and so that means that sometimes we are called to do so. But you're right. If we're not, if we're doing it in such a way that sort of you know discredits it uh, to begin with, then then we've kind of undercut ourselves. I mean, I, one thing I would say also is that part of loving others is desiring them to have the truth. And so that's a, it's sure that love is there. There can be a hard. There can be sort of the, sort of the, the tough love thing. But when we're being an apologist, when we're actually defending the faith, it, it often isn't the case that we have the right, in a sense, to correct somebody. To, you know, it, the, the tough love thing typically works in a different kind of relationship. This is more when there is actually a desire for the truth on both sides. Right? And, and, if, and if we discover that there really isn't a desire for the truth, maybe this is not the context or the place or the time uh, to have that conversation. 
But what, what? But very often, I think if somebody, let's say we're at work, and somebody, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day, and they say that Catholics, you know, um, don't, you know that uh, I thought the Catholics only, you know, I thought the Catholics were were doer, you know, sacrificial people. What's all this? Or the other way around, the Catholics just party all the time and they don't take, you know, religion seriously. Whatever it might be, or they say that, you know, why do you Catholics, you know, worship or vener, you know, adore the saints, you know, or you you, you kneel down before statues? Isn't is not against God's law? Whatever it might be, something like that. Everything the Pope says is 100% infallible. And, and so then that becomes a beautiful moment where you say, well, actually, um, that's not entirely true, and this is why, and you can have a, and they could be like, wow, oh, that was really interesting. I never, never thought about it that way. That's the kind of place where apologetics is done best. If it's just kind of like raising voices and trying to win the argument, then sometimes we can be led astray. Now, you, you also mentioned there needs to be that desire for truth on both sides. If you have somebody who just wants to argue for the sake of arguing, then at that point, is is it better to just pull back because you're going to get sucked into an argument that you'll never be able to win and you're probably not going to make any headway? Uh, is it better just to kind of cut that off and just say, all right, I'll, I'll just look for the next opportunity? <laughs> I think sometimes a lot of it depends on the relationship. Sure. I think there's some yeah. friendship and, you know, you have some too that you just kind of enjoy sparring and you know you're probably never going to. In fact, one of the signs of, good, of great friendship, I think, is that you can end uh, a discussion not having come to a, a neat conclusion and still enjoy each other's company and pick it up right. later on. So it might be one of those sort of things. But if it, if it really is somebody who's just kind of baiting you, you know, that's a different story. And I mean, if somebody, if you feel that somebody is just kind of out to kind of get you into a quagmire where you can't answer it and, you know, it becomes really awkward. And that's that's a difference. One thing I say to the seminarians a lot um, is, because we do a lot of this stuff in apologetics, kind of preparing them, um, is uh, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I think there's actually, there's a kind of a beautiful witness in that, in in saying, you know, that's a great question. I've never thought about, uh, you know, that particular issue regarding papal infallibility or something like that, or or confession, you know. and but I, I'm going to look into it. And and what that does is it shows first of all people that you too that you too are looking for the truth. It shows them that you're humble enough to know when you don't when you don't have all the you know you don't have all the neat pat answers. But also it shows that you have the confidence in your own faith that there is an answer. You know and and that's and that's something that I think is one of the best fruits of studying apologetics for Catholics. It's not that they're kind of equipped to go out there and you know. Uh, kind of just you know vanquish their opponents, <laughs> but that they begin to have a, a real confidence that their faith is so beautiful, it holds together, it's rationally sound, you know, it's been studied by the greatest minds ever to have lived in in these deep ways. And you know what? If I don't know the answer, which is going to happen sometimes, I know somebody has looked into this already and, and thought deeply about it. And how beautiful is it that we come from a faith where we can say that? Our spiritual director today is Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. We're talking about what it means to be an apologist for Christ, looking at the life of St. Patrick and how he gave that example of evangelizing and clearing up misconceptions about Christianity, about the Catholic faith. How are you being that Catholic missionary, that Catholic apologist in your own community? When have you had the opportunity to talk with someone, and how did that go? Uh, how do you try and correct those misconceptions that people might bring to you? And how are you doing that 
in a loving way, in a non-confrontational way, as we talked about, St. Peter wrote, you know, with gentleness and with reverence. Uh, We'd love to hear how you've been able to practice that in your own life. You can give us a call. The phone lines are open, 888-914-9149, You can also email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. More on apologetics with Father Carter Griffin here right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. say thanks to Nick Schmitz and Jim Shaper who are helping to coordinate everything uh, in the background here for the inner life today. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. So apparently that's an Irish drinking song, Nick. Okay. All right. Well, I don't have a beer in front of me right now, but maybe I'll pull that up and listen to it later tonight as I eat my corned beef and cabbage and, you know, drink down a Smittics or something like that. (laughs) All right. Uh, We are talking about apologetics here on The Inner Life today and how we can live that out, how how we can look at the example of the life of St. Patrick in being a strong, bold witness for Christ and clearing up those misconceptions about what we believe as Catholics. You can give us a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You can email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And uh, we're talking with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Right before the break, Father, you were talking about how it's it's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that. You know, that um, if somebody stumps us with a question, but... There are answers out there, you know, as you said, whatever that we might be coming up against that is something we we just don't know how to explain it or how to respond. There's somebody or multiple somebodies who have given it all kinds of thought and consideration and have come up with the reason why we believe what we believe and and the basis for that. Uh, We live in a world where everybody wants the response in this nice, tidy little soundbite. But sometimes those answers, they really are more complex, and they are going to take a little longer to explain than, you know, just one or two sentences. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was having a conversation with someone not too long ago about physician-assisted suicide, which is certainly a big topic today. And um, I was actually, it was two people, and one of them, their impression of the Catholic teaching was that we are supposed to medically keep somebody alive until it is medically no longer possible, regardless of expense, regardless of risk, regardless of everything else. The other person had in mind the idea that Catholics, sort of educated Catholics, recognize that it's basically as soon as it's no longer, you know, as soon as a person couldn't live on their own without any medicine at all, then you have to let the person die naturally, or you can let the person die naturally. Both of those are, are have some truth in them. Both of them have a lot of, there's an, there's an admixture of truth and falsity in those. And the answer was kind of somewhere in between, as it so often is, 
it's sort of a both and. Um, but it's, it's not a soundbite. And there's no way we can turn the church's understanding, which is a very rich and nuanced and I think deeply human understanding about the dignity of every human life and the fact that it can't just be based upon productivity and sort of so-called you know, uh, quality of life. But at the same time, financial resources are in fact limited. We recognize that. And how to, how to coordinate all these things, and it's going to be case by case, right? There's certain bright lines. There's some very clear principles but it's hard to apply in a case-to-case, and it requires good discernment and prayer and getting good advice and so forth. None of that is going to fit into a single soundbite. Um, and so I think we have to recognize that there are going to be some conversations where that's sort of one of the preconditions for it to be a good conversation. Are, are we willing to have an actual human, adult, rational conversation about this, or are you looking for kind of the, you know, the quick answer, which may not really cover the whole truth? Yeah. Yeah, that's... And... Covering the whole truth, that's another thought that I had, Father, where when we talk with other people, it's so common for me to hear somebody, when I explain something that the Catholic Church believes, or I say, you know, this is where I'm coming from, we live in a culture where people don't believe in universal or absolute truths. And Pope Benedict XVI, he famously called it the dictatorship of relativism, where things can be construed as... Uh, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And so how do you think we should approach somebody when they give us that line? Well, that, that might be true for you. That might work for you, but that's not true for me. Uh, does, and I'm not talking about preference. You know, preference is, is a different thing than truth. You know, if, if you prefer, um, you know, pepperoni to sausage on your pizza, well, okay, that's your preference. But when we talk about truth, then do we need to go back to kind of foundational understanding of what makes something true or not? How, how, do, we, how do we approach somebody when we get that response? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that can be helpful, less often than I think you, you want it to be helpful, but I mean, it, it can be actually seeing the non-relativistic nature of the claims of relativism, right? That it's self-referentially uh, right. false, I think. Someone saying there is no truth is making a statement that, in fact, is they claim is absolutely true, namely that there's no such thing as truth. Right? So the thing doesn't even hold uh, together philosophically. But let's face it, that's not going to necessarily <laughs> convince a lot of people who are sort of just swept up into that. It's more of an attitude than it is a really serious intellectual kind of framework. And I think the best way, in my opinion, is to is to actually not make it general, but make it very specific. You know, and so. Almost everybody will have, and maybe everybody, I don't know, will have something in their life that is worth defending, something that is not just kind of their opinion and it's not just a kind of preference. Um, you know, something, maybe they, have a, maybe they have children, you know, and we can't say that the way we treat children is just completely relativistic, that there are certain common norms. I think this is one of the reasons why um, the, you know, there's those old jokes about how long does it take before a conversation invokes the Nazis, you know, is <laughs> right. because like everyone sort of, almost everyone acknowledges that the Nazis were doing some really evil things, right? The final solution is a terrible, awful, no good thing. So, you know, that's something you can say, well, oh, so what you're saying is that the Nazi thing is, is relative. Well, I think that instinct, that is a totally overworn and uh, maybe use of that example. But the instinct is right, like, so, because relativists have a very, very high bar to meet to claim that they actually are relativists. Because if they're not, then what they're saying is, okay, well, now we may disagree on what the absolute truths are, but we both agree that there is an absolute truth, and that 
and that is a foundation on which we can have a real discussion. Because if at the end of the day they stick by their guns and they say there is no truth, then obviously there's no conversation possible because what are, you, are you just trying to get at whose opinion is, is a better, stronger opinion than the other? You know, it doesn't make any sense to have a, a rational conversation at that point. Yeah, another thing that comes to mind with this is sometimes it's better, you know, we've been talking about if if you're getting into an argument for argument's sake or, you know, as you're trying to give mm-hmm. answers, a lot of times it can be that somebody has heard whatever that sound bite is and they say, oh, that that sounds good, you know, I, that that seems to make sense, but they haven't necessarily given it a lot of thought. And sometimes if you just ask questions... If you go through and start saying, well, okay, what do you mean by that? Can you explain more of what you're trying to say with this? And if they haven't given it thought, that'll expose itself right there. Or if you follow up with a question like maybe, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, There might be where they've, for the very first time, they're having to give it serious thought and not just throw out some talking point that they've heard in the past that they say, oh, that sounds good, and that'll shut up anybody else who, you know, disagrees with me, and I don't, I don't have to go deeper into this. Yeah, that's, I think it's, it's, it's very effective. I mean, it's, a little, it's a little bit more, I suppose, challenging and perhaps even risky, you know, if they, if they have thought about it and they kind of nail it back. Oh, sure. I'm not sure quite how to respond. But I think, it's, I think it could be extended sort of the Socratic method can be very, very helpful. And, and really conducive to a, a deeper conversation and maybe learning something ourselves about, about that other point of view, which can also be extremely helpful. Another thing that comes to mind as we're talking about being apologists, again, our, our spiritual director today, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and uh, as we're talking about being apologists, if you, as you're listening, if, if you've had that experience of being able to explain the faith or defend the faith to someone— how has that gone for you? Have you been able to do it in a way that has helped somebody on their faith journey? Is it something where uh, <laughs> you got a little heated and it didn't go as well as you'd hoped? Uh, we'd love to hear how God has been able to work in your life as you've been trying to be that, that Catholic missionary, that Catholic apologist. The phone number is 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. But, uh, Father, when we engage in apologetics— we're not going to immediately convince every person that we talk to on every aspect of what we believe. And in fact, I think most of the time we just need to be at peace with the reality. We're probably not going to convince most of the people that we talk to of really anything uh, when we're trying to be friendly and honest and have a, like you said, just, you know, are we willing to have that adult conversation and look at whatever the issue is that's on the table we we need to be friendly and we need to give them something to think about but that might be about it is just giving them something to think about at the end of that conversation and we need to leave it up to the holy spirit you know it can't be about the, me doing this for my own satisfaction or my own uh glory we need to do it for god's glory and that mindset, I think, is really important. Otherwise, why are we doing this? Are we just doing it for ourselves, again, just to win an argument? Or are we just wanting to give that person something that they can consider over the next hours, days, weeks? And then when they encounter somebody else, might be six months down the line, might be a year down the line, might be 10 years down the line, but you've at least given them something to where they might be a little more open 
to that next person who encounters them and how the Holy Spirit is going to work in their lives. And, but that takes a lot of trust to just say, okay, it's not me, it's, it's you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think it's extremely rare for someone to be kind of intellectually honest and humble enough to, in the middle of a conversation, <laughs> kind of change their point of view. You know, they're like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. You're right. I now relinquish what I was saying before. That probably will not happen very often. But what I think happens a lot, and I suspect most of, uh, I think, us and you know, our listeners would, ha- would see in their own life that oftentimes you get away from a discussion and maybe the heat, you know, kind of the, the heat of the moment kind of, you know, d- d- diminishes. And then you think now you're like, you know what, uh, that actually made a lot of sense. You know, I, maybe I need to rethink. And you, you know, and then you bring it to your, and then you do your, your own way of sort of reprocessing what you were thinking, maybe some assumptions you let go, some prejudices you have now illuminated, you know, and you no longer hold um, whatever it might be. So I think you're right. So a lot of trust is needed that that will happen. And above all, to recognize that at the end of the day, if what we want is not just converted minds, but converted hearts, if what we want is not just the fruit of apologetics, but also evangelization, that we actually want disciples of Jesus Christ, not just kind of intellectual philosophers of Jesus Christ. If that's what we want, then we have to see this as part of a larger movement of the Holy Spirit and trusting these souls and trusting these people who are listening to us, you know, our interlocutors, our co-workers, whoever it might be, and trusting them to Jesus because at the end of the day, we can't convert anybody, right? It has to be the grace of Jesus Christ. And so entrusting them to God, I think, is, is, is an essential part of this, and that's, that's where the trust comes in. Our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the, the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. We're talking about apologetics today, looking at the life of St. Patrick and how he can be an example for us as we witness to those around us, especially clearing up those misconceptions uh, as people we talk with might say, well, you Catholics, you believe this, right? Well, not exactly. How have you experienced that in your own life? And how have those conversations gone? Have you been able to be that witness to somebody? Has it been something you've been able to see them come into the church or or be more friendly to the Catholic Church in the way that they understand now some of those those misconceptions when they're cleared up? You can give us a call and share your experience, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we'll be back with more here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and The Relevant radio app. If you missed part of the program, you can listen to this show and any of your favorites on the Relevant Radio app or online at relevantradio.com. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. And uh, before we continue on with the conversation, I wanted to mention, I don't know if you've heard this, Drew Mariani, he has a brand new book that he just wrote. It's actually at the printers right now. It's entitled Divine Mercy. I had the chance to read it before, uh, you know, I was one of the people helping to proof it and go through it. And if you, it doesn't matter if you're familiar with the message of Divine Mercy and that devotion or or you're just learning about it, it's a great book that will give you uh, some fantastic resources uh, about the message of divine mercy, but also just the history, all kinds of stories of miracles and people who have been transformed by God's healing mercy. And I guarantee, after you read this book, 
the first thing you're going to want to do is, well, you want to get an image of divine mercy, and then you're going to want to tell others about divine mercy. So as we're talking about being evangelists and witnesses for Christ, this is a great opportunity for you to do that. And the best thing is this book is absolutely free. You don't have to pay for shipping. You don't have to pay for the book. All you have to do is go to relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app, and you can sign up for a free copy. Just let us know where to mail it, and we'll send it your way. And after you sign up, you can also, there's a button there where you can share, and you can let a friend or a family member know about how to sign up for the book. Don't sign them up. (laughs) They need to do it themselves. But you can at least share the information so they can do that. So again, go to RelevantRadio.com or the Relevant Radio app, and click on that banner for Drew's new book, Divine Mercy, and we'll try and get it out to you as quick as we can. Again, it's at the printers right now, but we're going to try and get those out as fast as we can. And today we're talking about apologetics, looking at the life of St. Patrick and how St. Patrick can inspire us in how we, how we can be that witness to those people around us, those people in our sphere of influence. And uh, Father Griffin, let's go to the phones. We've got Elizabeth who's listening to us out in Illinois. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate all the work that you do on the radio. Um, I have a comment. My husband has read the Bible probably over 30 times in a couple of different languages. And so he's very, very well versed. We were having Jehovah Witnesses living out in the country. We were having Jehovah Witnesses stopping by occasionally And, you know, being nice, I would accept their pamphlet, and they would go on. Um, One time, my husband was home when they sent, when they stopped by, and he accepted their pamphlet, and he went, and he, you know, he he took the time to read the pamphlet. So the next time Jehovah Witnesses stopped by, it was an older man and a younger woman. They came in the house, and my husband invited them, a glass of water, and they had a conversation for over an hour. My husband counteracting was uh, not an argument, um, simply informing each other, both Catholic faith and of Jehovah Witness. About halfway through, the young woman excused herself, and then... The gentleman never came back to the house. I am hoping that through the discussion that this young woman heard, it may have helped her question the Jehovah Witnesses. And I just thought that was an amazing story. Uh, Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, it is a great story, and I'm so impressed with uh, your husband's capacity to do that because you know oftentimes even if we sort of know that you know that their arguments aren't uh, that strong or whatever when you're dealing with people who kind of do this in a sense for a living right and are going around it can be easy to kind of get um can kind of get snared into words you know and kind of get trip yourself get tripped up over your own words um and so the fact that he was able to have that conversation and really patiently and kindly you know walk them through uh, a different point of view i think could be could have been extremely helpful for both of them, but it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult for anyone to hear something that seems to run counter to what they've believed for years and years and years. So I imagine it was also very hard, you know, for, for the young woman in question and, and also for the older gentleman. Um, but good for your good for your husband. I think if more, more Catholics did that, we'd have um, a lot fewer Catholics falling away from the faith 
when they hadn't really understood understood the faith to begin with. That that is an important aspect of this that um, we do need to be prepared for. You know, we're, we're never going to know everything, Father, but yeah, we want to the yeah. best of our ability to be familiar enough with what we believe as Catholics that we can explain it. And even if, I'll just say this, if you have kids, explain it to your kids, especially young kids, because the simpler you have to explain different concepts, the better you will be at being concise and getting to the nut and bolts of exactly what you're trying to explain there. Um, So explain it to your kids when they're young, and that'll help you in your own process of saying, okay, how can I I get this down, distill it to something that somebody else can walk away with, even if they don't have the whole answer, Father, uh, even just giving that little bit that says, here's kind of the basis of it. That can be a good starting point. I think so, and I think also if we know the faith ourselves, and we also know some resources that we can direct someone to who can give a, a longer and maybe more dispassionate you know, explanation about something that can happen in the moment and sort of the heat of the moment. Um, you know, and that, that kind of reminds me, just real quick, I think some people may be wondering to themselves, well, how do I, how do I where do I go you know, to get started with this? Sure. I think the first thing is we need to know our faith. I don't think we necessarily have to kind of start A to Z all the way through the catechism, but at least start with questions that we already find interesting or maybe confusing and learn that section from the catechism, so at least we know the basics of what we teach, and then go to the places that where, where, where good minds have already studied this from an apologetics point of view. You know, the Catholic Answers website has a lot of good information on there. Uh, there's some wonderful books. We sort of live in a golden age of apologetics, I think. You know, the, Peter Kreeft is, of course, is, is a giant, you know, and Patrick Madrid, and all these great, great apologists that are out there have done enormously helpful work, they and many others, you know, for souls to learn their faith better. So there's, there's always some good resources out there um, to learn, to learn what, we, what, we can, what we can about our faith and also how to defend our faith so that when the Jehovah's Witnesses come or the Mormons come or our friend from work asks us a question, we at least know where we can go if we don't know the answer right, right. away or we don't know how to address it. Yeah, I'll give one more book, one that was very instrumental in my own understanding of what Catholics believe. And it's a book by Carl Keating. It's called Catholicism and Fundamentalism. And if you're talking with somebody, especially from a a scriptural, a biblical standpoint, um, it really does go through so many of the, the misunderstandings that Protestants and evangelicals might have about the Catholic faith and gives the reason why Catholics believe what they believe. And almost every explanation comes from Scripture. So it's a great resource to be able to say, well, yeah, Catholics... We don't, we don't look at the Bible in the same way that it's the only deposit of faith. We have Scripture and tradition that work together. But since you're looking at Scripture, let me show you what, you, you know, what you're talking about and why we believe it from the Bible. So again, that's Catholicism and Fundamentalism. Great book. Uh, Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Erica, who's listening in Prattville, Alabama. Hi, Erica. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Hey. So... Um I started listening to, you know, apologetics really through the radio. I credited it all to my brother because if he didn't have it on, I would have never, ever listened to it or even tried to listen to it, honestly. But I uh, I just got to a point where I was listening to Catholic radio. Um, at the time, it was Immaculate Heart, and then it merged with uh, Relevant. But from, you know, 7 o'clock to 4 o'clock, and, that, you know, that was my routine for 
days and days, weeks, weeks, and months. And I felt like I knew everything. You know, I was 25 and young. So, you know, I had all the answers at that point. So I started becoming this on-fire friend, wanting to show, you know, God and Jesus and the Catholic Church to all my very non-Catholic friends. And I think some, uh, you know, stepping back now, I was probably too... Uh, too hard, I think, too pushy about it. So what I had to do to come back to it to, you know, at least put some truth, some truth after I feel like I turned a lot of people down from the Catholic or pushed them away, essentially, was I used that that, uh, rationale um, of objective truth. Well, you know, we can't say that there is, truth in every religion we can't we can't say that so even if even if you think i'm wrong we know that somebody is wrong and it may not be me but we just gotta you know find out who is right essentially but you know from wisdom from wisdom i'm only i'm only 30 but don't ever start pushing the faith on somebody too hard because they're not they're not ready i don't think for you know all the firecracker work that you think you're going to going to give them but that was just my my personal experience for when i first started studying apologetics yeah thank you erica i think it's a great contribution to the to the conversation here because you know it is easy for us to kind of lapse into a kind of a prideful approach i think oh i I, i've got all the answers and i'm just going to teach you where you're wrong and where i'm right you know and that that can creep into us the evil one is going to use whatever he can you know, to bring us down, even if he's going to use good things, you know, and our desire to know our faith and to spread the faith is a, is a great, beautiful, noble desire, but it can also lead us into some mistakes in that way, coming across too hard or, you know, so I think learning that lesson is so, so important. And what you said is so true, like that not only is sort of uncharitable or something like that, but it can be so counterproductive. We can push people away from the faith rather than help them get closer to the faith. And so I think having that approach that you're talking about now, it's like just sort of saying, well, let's let's keep this conversation going. We may not sort of come to a, an agreement about everything right away, or maybe we never do, but at least we can agree that there is something that we're both striving towards. You know, if we say that, if you say that there's, you know, whatever, no resurrection, and I say there is a resurrection, well, they can't both be true, right? Either he did or he did not physically rise from the dead. So let's let's keep that conversation going, and, you know, and that's a beautiful way to continue that that dialogue, which I think will ultimately, the truth will eventually out. You know, and having that confidence in the truth. So anyway, thanks very much, Erica, for your contribution. That was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And we are down to just the last couple of minutes here, but let's try and see if we can get Dave on. Dave's listening in Wisconsin. Hi, Dave. Welcome to The Inner Life. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Thanks for uh, getting me on. But question, I love apologetics, been listening to it for years, reading on it, you name it. I've read many of Patrick Madrid's books. Uh, unfortunately, with siblings, I'm 0 for 3, and uh, it, it gets frustrating. I I don't think I've made any progress. As a matter of fact, I think I've went backwards. I haven't pushed it on them. It's been uh, it's been really challenging. I'm questioned all the time. I'm I'm criticized. Uh, and so, Dave, uh, Dave I'm, I'm going to jump in really quick just because we've only got a couple minutes left, and I want to let Father respond to you. So, Father, with Dave and his situation, how can he yeah. help reach out to his siblings if there's not that open door there for that dialogue? 
you know, Dave, one thing that I would, you know, here we are on St. Patrick's Day. The thing that made him great wasn't that he went in there and used the illustrations of the shamrock. And, you know, he knew the scriptures and the faith really well. But what makes him a saint is not the fact that he could explain the scriptures. What makes him a saint is his holiness of life, you know, his prayerfulness, his sacrifice. That ultimately is what, you know, bent the heart of Jesus to, to save the Irish people. And I think that's true for us, too. Like, whenever, especially we're struggling with being rejected by family, friends, loved ones, coworkers, you know, to think my, my primary goal here is not to necessarily convince them rationally. My primary goal is to become a saint and in doing so, praying for them and, and begging our Lord to bring them. And then, let, then leave it in his hands, you know, trusting him and letting go. And that's, that's, a, that's a tall order. It's hard to do. Yeah. But that is what we're called to do, to trust Jesus first. You know, Dave, another thing that I'll say to you is people are watching us as we live our lives because my mom had somebody who approached her one time. She had no idea. And this woman said, I want you to know this Easter I'm going to be baptized and, and received into this church I'm going to. It wasn't Catholic Church. But that woman had been watching my mother live her life. And my mom had not had one conversation about her beliefs with this other woman. It was just her living her example. So keep living that example. Father Carter Griffin, we're down to the last 30 seconds here. Before we wrap up, could I ask you to give our listeners a final blessing? Be happy to, Josh. May the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you and your family and your loved ones and all of your listeners in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Father Griffin, for being here on The Inner Life today. And I want to encourage you to stay right here on Relevant Radio coming up in just a couple of seconds. We've got Mass. Father Edward Looney is the celebrant. And, of course, Pope will talk to you again tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Tomorrow, Father Doug McKay, we're going to talk about giving control over to God, not holding on to that control for ourselves, giving it over to God, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Remember, pray the rosary every day. It'll change your life, and you can change the world. Pray the rosary. Have a great day.